following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And today we're finishing up our third week of the study of the paramis, these beautiful qualities of the heart, specifically wise effort, as I think the fifth of the ten paramis. And then starting next Sunday, I won't be here. Gabe Keller Flores will be teaching for me. Um, Shelley Graf and I will be leading our annual Labor Day weekend retreat. Some people will be on Zoom and some people will be at Common Grounds Retreat Property, Retreat Center uh, near Prairie Farm, Wisconsin. But Gabe uh, will begin talking about truthfulness, the next of the paramis. So... What in particular today I want to talk about this movement into effortlessness, <laughs> which is sort of what we all like, right? We want to inhabit the kind of efforting in life that is effortless, that seems so natural. And we have these very poetic and beautiful images <clears throat> generally in the Buddhist tradition. You know, I've heard some of my teachers talk about a leaf falling off a tree in the fall. <clears throat> excuse me, and how natural <clears throat> and effortless it is for that leaf to find its way from the tree to the ground. A more common simile that was used all the way back by the Buddha 2,500 years ago or so is rain falling on the side of a mountain. And uh, that rain hits the ground, that water finds its way down the mountainside in streams and lakes, and eventually into the back into the ocean. That cycle, that water cycle and evaporation, and, and all of that, that whole engine of evaporation and clouds and rain and flowing down and back into bodies of water where the water evaporates. Now that's a lot of work, right? When you think about how much rain, like here in the Twin Cities, has fallen in the last week or two after a long drought, you know, several inches. Well, that's a lot of water that got evaporated, that got moved, that fell, that flowed, and on and on. And we can really sense when we have these natural images or how fall becomes winter and winter becomes spring, spring, summer, summer, fall. There's a lot that happens to the plants and environment as these season, seasons change. And uh, we can sense, with these images at least, or these ideas, we can sense the effortlessness of this natural activity. And But we could imagine, too, you know, if we sort of personalize the seasonal change, like there's some god of the seasons and how much work she or he has to do to make that seasonal change happen. But that would be a story, as if there's some kind of individual who does that work. You know, there's, there's the rain god, or there's the water god that has to kind of do the work of the, the water cycle. And it just, you know, as a human being, we have to, and I've been talking about this the last couple of weeks for those who are new, we need to find this nimble place where we're not afraid of efforting 
in just the right kind of way, the way the moment asks for. And when the moment asks for what feels to us like a very individual, personal, courageous, fearless efforting, then we have to be willing to show up in that way, because that's what to us feels skillful, helpful in this moment. You know, that what we might imagine as that more heroic kind of efforting, where we lean in, where we're fearless, doing the right thing, doing what needs to be done. But that kind of heroic effort, individual, individualistic effort, that's appropriate in some moments, and it's not appropriate in other moments. And a lot of times we find ourselves in practice using the same instrument, the same strategy, but at the wrong time. And we're in a moment where the kind of effort is much more about trusting the wholesome forces that are already in motion in our heart, the wisdom that's already in motion. And so it's more about abiding with the natural wholesome qualities that are already present in our mind, trusting, relaxing, letting the wholesome qualities of mind do what they do already. And I I gave us a little bit of that uh, instruction at the end of the sit this morning, but I really encourage you, and we can use this as a theme for our small group discussions for those who stay um, at the end, to talk about those times in our lives where we were navigating some difficulty or some part of our life, our responsibilities, whatever, but we just found that there was just a lot of trust, a lot of nimbleness, a lot of this, uh, less of this sense of, I've got to do this, I've got to decide what I'm going to do here, I've got to uh, say something to this person or make this effort to get this done, and more the sense of everything happening on its own, including the choice-making, including the speaking, including the doing. So even though seemingly very personal responsibilities or efforts that I'm making, even that can seem as if it's happening on its own. A lot, a lot like it is when we're authentically playing. You know, remember way back when you were a kid, or maybe hopefully more recently, even as adults, when you're, but we're really playing. It's not like, oh, I'm playing, but really I'm exercising. <laughs> When we're really playing, you know, the idea, the the projection of me working, me doing, it's not there. Like, you know, maybe some of you like to dance. You know, if if the conception in my mind when I'm dancing, supposedly having fun and dancing, is, oh God, I gotta move my body, I gotta do this, and I gotta do that, and then I'm gonna do this, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't be fun for one, it would probably wouldn't look very good either. Right, because it would look like there's a person struggling to fit in, or struggling to do the right thing, or struggling to have fun even. But the struggle obviously gets in the way. The idea, the conception that there's a somebody struggling to make this effort, you know, and and just the things that are going to come our way this afternoon, whether it's washing dishes, or you're going to do do some yard work, or you got to make a difficult phone call, or have a conversation with someone in the family or whatever that uh, initially appears in our heart as work. That 
I individually have to, like there's a burdensomeness, a weightfulness of that thing I have to do, have to think through, have to say, have to do. And then just to reimagine it as water flowing down the side of the mountain. And it doesn't mean that my personality and the way my mind's conditioned doesn't mean I'm going to navigate this responsibility perfectly. I'm going to say just the right thing to this person or you know, wash the dishes in just the right way. It just means that perhaps we can learn to emphasize the effort of awareness, this is being known, and less and less of the identification with the doing. And the thing is, the awareness of the doing beautifully informs the doing. This is the real insight of the Buddha. It's not that this personality, this way of relating, this way of doing stuff in the world is perfectly skillful and doesn't need transformation. No, it needs transformation. The weeds need to be weeded out. The wholesome qualities of mind need to be developed and cultivated, maintained. But the way that we, you know, I mentioned, I think last week, the four exertions, the way that we prevent and abandon unwholesome qualities in our heart and to develop and maintain the wholesome qualities in our heart turns out to be being aware. See, so being aware includes wisdom comprehending that these are unskillful and these are skillful, knowing the difference between what's what are wholesome qualities of mind in the direction of release and what are unwholesome qualities of mind in the direction of stress. So that open, clearly comprehending awareness, non-judging, but clearly comprehending, actually is what helps the preventing and abandoning and the developing and the maintaining of wholesome. Not some, you know, complaining, burdened sense of self that feels like I have to prevent my mind from getting caught up in my defensiveness and my negativity and my irritability. I'm the one who now has to abandon <clears throat> this oh poor me tendency that my mind, my personality has. I'm the one who has to learn how to be fearless. I'm the one who needs to maintain that fearlessness and that ease and that kindness. It just feels totally overwhelming. So sometimes we really are in that place of seeing these four exertions to prevent and abandon the unwholesome, to develop and maintain the wholesome. Sometimes it really is appropriate to see that as a personal effort. But we don't stay there. The whole idea is to aspire and to intuitively sense the possibility of moving into this effortless realm. And that effortless realm really, like I mentioned in the last week, there's the carrot and the stick. So when we're making, when it's appropriate to make that sort of personal or even egoic effort to prevent and abandon the wholesome, uh, the unwholesome from getting you know, more strength, more reinforcement, and to develop and maintain the wholesome. A lot of what we use is the fear, like, if I don't make effort here, I'm just going to do what I've done before, and I'm going to dig the hole deeper. I'm going to reinforce the unwholesome qualities of my, my mind, my personality. 
So we use the stick. We appropriately comprehend karma, cause and effect. Oh, I'm being really lustful here. I'm being really greedy here. I'm being really attached here. I'm being really afraid and tight here, controlling, negative. Oh, these qualities should be prevented and abandoned. The opposite should be developed and maintained. I care. I don't want to sort of go down this pathway. So I'm willing to make that seemingly personal effort to abandon and prevent, to develop and maintain. So that's the stick. That's the sort of sensing like we did when we did the five remembrances. Oh yeah, this is the way that it is. And it it heightens that spiritual urgency. I don't want to reinforce these patterns. I want to cultivate these other tendencies. But then when we get some momentum, it starts to feel good. And if we attend, if we keep in mind how the wholesome qualities, when they have momentum, like the continuity of mindfulness and appropriate faith and you know all the wholesome qualities, joyful interest and tranquility, calm, equanimity, non-attachment, when these wholesome qualities get some momentum and we feel the rightness, the wholesomeness, the inner pleasure, then that is enough like to comprehend, ah, I trust what's in motion. I feel the rightness, the wholesomeness, the inner pleasure of what's in motion. That attention to the inner pleasure of the mind becoming more stable, more clear, less judging, more discerning, discerning what's wholesome and unwholesome, more naturally abandoning what's unwholesome and cultivating what's wholesome. Naturally, as water flows down the side of a of a mountainside, then you see then some neurotic sense that I have to do all that work would be not helpful in those moments. We have to change how we effort to more like trusting what's in motion, trusting the wholesome qualities of the heart and mind that are already manifesting, have some momentum, and all the practice needs is that discerning present moment awareness that is discerning and comprehending this feels right, this feels wholesome, the heart feels stable, the heart is already discerning what's wholesome and unwholesome, it's already abandoning and preventing the unwholesome and cultivating and maintaining the wholesome. It's already, it's all happening on its own. But we have to, it takes an increase of faith at this moment. It's like, this is a new skill at some point in your practice where you start to access some moments where your mindfulness has some momentum. The wisdom awareness practice you've been cultivating for years, months, decades even, then you start to have moments where the practice has momentum. And then you'll have to transform how you make effort from that more personal effort relying on the stick and the carrot, right? Like appropriate fear for doing what I always do, basically acting out in, with greed, hatred, and delusion, egoic ways. Like, oh yeah, don't want to do that. Feeling that sort of personal attraction to learning how to be more skillful. 
right? Because it that's the carrot. Oh, that feels good. And but to abandon that orientation when there's some momentum. And so I thought like with the small groups today, and then some of you won't stay for the small groups, but then on your own to reflect or with a Dharma friend sometime this week or the next couple of weeks to have a conversation with a good friend who's also into the practice. What is actually your experience in your life where there were moments where being a good skillful, aware, kind human being was felt effortless. Didn't feel like there was a somebody trying to be skillful. It just felt like everything was happening on its own. And whatever you were navigating, like an interaction with someone or walking down the street or whatever you were doing, it doesn't matter. That activity felt like nature. People always ask, like, how does that deeper insight into anatta, the impersonal, empty of self-centered drama um, experience, how does that arise? What does that look like when it arises? What's well, very much related to these moments where we feel in the flow, in the groove, everything happening on its own. And like I mentioned earlier in the talk, it might be initially moments when we're playing we're just uh, doing something we love to do and wholesome qualities naturally arise. Unwholesome qualities of the heart and mind naturally are suppressed. And we might just notice that wholesome, light, effortless, everything happening on its own kind of feeling. Now the key is to be aware of that feeling itself instead of being aware of the idea oh, I really like cooking, I really like chopping vegetables, that's why I'm so happy. Or I really like walking in the woods in this particular place because the trees are like this and the creek is like that. So the mind constructs a story about why I'm feeling good and it loses its connection with the present moment. So the key in those more natural moments, um, natural times when we feel that joy, that joyful interest, that lightness of heart, that absence of dukkha, absence of tightness, that grip in the heart doesn't seem to be there. As we discern, as that becomes in a way our meditation object. So wisdom and awareness is keeping that in mind. Of course, why not? It's there, here and now, in the present moment. This is being known. This is being felt. That's the key. We have to make that inner good feeling the object of awareness. The rightness of the way the mind is relating to the present moment, the easefulness of that way of relating, the absence of friction, the absence of self-centered drama attachment, that inner grip of grasping, of self-centered grasping, is relatively gone relatively at ease. And so we keep that in mind and we learn to trust it. Because that will really expand the understanding, deepen the understanding of what it is to experience the heart, the mind, empty of self-centered grasping, empty of this self-centeredness. It's an insight. It isn't some philosophical thing we're trying to figure out. 
It's an experience we awaken to when everything is happening on its own. And it's really the development of wise effort and how effort has to be nimble. We have to be willing to make effort in a way that actually helps. And we don't actually know that until we're in the moment. You know, we show up and we, we, we show up because we care and we see like what is in the direction of what is trustworthy. Is the way the heart, the mind, body is showing up, the way the mind, heart, body is engaging? Is it leading? Is it planting seeds for stress and tension? Is the grip getting tighter? Or is the way the mind relating, the body, heart relating, the way we're showing up in the direction of release? This is the essential insight. That's why we say wise effort, because it's always governed, efforting, is always governed by this fresh, in-the-moment discernment of whether the way we're relating is leading to more of a grip or more of a release of flow. That's the only thing we can trust. This is the thing about wisdom. It isn't, I think I mentioned this last week, you know, we can't hold on to it. It has to be renewed. It's, a, it's an ongoing discernment like what's helpful right now. This is, I forget if I read this last week, um, and it really speaks to this point, like although we can feel so attracted to living in a more effortless way, as we should, we should aspire to that. Whatever intuition, whatever experiences we've had will naturally cause us to aspire to live in a more effortless, nimble, creative easeful, skillful way. But the path to that effortlessness is first, you know, we get grounded in this sort of self-centered place where I'm noticing how I can make things worse based on how I relate and how I can make things better. And I, in a sense, learn how to own my personal karmic responsibility. I am the heir to my intentional actions, like we chanted at the beginning, born of them, abide with them. As the Buddha says, karma is our only true possession. Because karma, like when I act with intention, that impression, the quality of the intention I acted with, let's say it was really self-centered, a lot of greed or a lot of hate, that gets laid down. So the mind stream is affected by the quality of my intention. If my intentions are kindly and uh, wise, there's like no trace. So the karma is, you know, empty of being a weight, a burden. And so when we talk about discerning what's skillful and unskillful, we're really talking about discerning the karmic residue, the karmic... Uh, you know, what's left over, the trace from the quality of our motivation or intentions. We're discerning. So we're making the effort to keep the present moment in mind in order to discern and to find our way. Because that's the only way. It's like 
we have to give wisdom the opportunity to discern are we planting seeds for stress or seeds for release? We have to get in the game. And getting the game means the mind is wisdom and awareness is able to comprehend the present moment, recognize the present moment, oh, it's like this now, so that it can comprehend or discern how the mind is relating, skillfully or unskillfully. Qualities that need to be abandoned and prevented, qualities of mind that need to be developed and maintained. And eventually that discernment becomes the new habit. So then we don't need that seemingly personal me, Mark, the practitioner, to do the discerning. It's just the nature of the mind's habits to discern and to let go of what should be let go of, to cultivate what should be cultivated. It just becomes the natural process of the mind to relate skillfully, to abandon what's unwholesome, to cultivate what's wholesome. This is from Ajahn Tanisaro. Thus, through observation, one will realize that skillful effort has no room for doctrinaire approaches. The polar extremes of constant exertion to the point of exhaustion and its opposite, a knee-jerk fear of efforting, are both misguided here, as is the seemingly middle way of moderation in all things. The true middle way means tuning one's efforts to the abilities and the task at hand. In some cases, this entails an all-out effort, in others, simple watchfulness. The ability to sense what kind and what level of effort is appropriate in any given situation is an important element in developing the basic requirements for skill, mindfulness, and discernment by putting them into use. I want to read a little bit more from this article by Ajahn Tani Saro. He's a Western Buddhist monk in the Thai forest tradition. And uh, this is from a very wonderful book, a little bit technical for some of you maybe, but uh, he wrote it a while back, The Wings to Awakening. You can get this online. Tani Saro, T-H-A-N-I-S-S-A-R-O. And in this, he talks about effortlessness and the wisdom that is required. In the third stage of practice, the function of exertion becomes finer yet, as it maintains a basic empty or radically phenomenological awareness of the frames of reference, the four foundations of body and mind. In order to bring to mind the state of non-fashioning appropriate for this process of awakening, right? So we go from being a practitioner and doing the practice but ultimately, we have to have periods of times where we're practicing not to become, not to do, but just to understand, just to be aware. The equipose of this state, he writes, beyond the categories of effort or non-effort, explains the paradox expressed in this discourse from the Buddha, which states that the mind crosses the floods of endless suffering by neither pushing forward nor staying in place. An equipoise that embodies the ultimate skillfulness of right effort or wise effort in bringing the mind to the point beyond skill. 
Some of you remember that discourse. I, I use it a lot and it's quite well known where the Buddha is asking, uh, is being asked about um, how he crossed the floods of suffering. And he said, by neither pushing forward and also by neither standing still. And when he was further questioned, he said, like when I pushed forward, try to make something happen, try to get enlightened, I got pushed around, swirled around. When I just stood still, I sank. So by neither pushing forward nor standing still did I cross the floods. So it seems a little like, wait a minute, I don't get it. But I think he's really talking about this really relying on discernment. And I mentioned eventually the discernment, what the mind is discerning is that this way of relating is helpful. This way of relating is skillful. The way the mind is relating right now, comprehending, letting go, ah, that's what leads. And then I want to just read a little bit more from this um, section of Wings to Awakening. And thank you, Nancy, for putting it into the chat. Implicit in this discussion of the effort involved in mastering skill to the point of its own transcendence is the fact that the goal of the practice is not an effort to return to supposedly pure state of childlike awareness prior to social conditionings. And he goes on and he explains, as much as we might sense in a wild animal or a, a newborn child, an infant, a kind of state of innocence and just how released, I mean, how many times have I looked at our cat and just lying there and like, that cat doesn't seem to be holding a lot of neurotic tension. But clearly, infants and my cat, you know, they can become very tight and contracted. So even though they might be able to sort of access a more relaxed state, they're not out of the woods. They're totally capable of suffering, right? So we, we really need to um, manifest a kind of wisdom that keeps the mind from falling, falling back into those tendencies, those latent tendencies. He ends up this chapter writing, Thus the way to purity lies not in renouncing one's uh, not in renouncing one's developed intellectual powers, but in developing those power powers to the higher levels of mastery and skill. This explains why wise exertion is a necessary part of practice. Right? The wisdom of effort. It really comes from comprehending. Wanting to be done with efforting, just see where that leads. It just leads to the same old thing. You know, we just end up following habit. So we have to go through this process of learning how to personally make effort that's skillful and how to really rely on what we've learned on this so-called personal level. That's why we sit, and we sit. Every morning we get up and we sit, we go on retreats, we, you know, and given our responsibilities in life, we really use this ritual called sitting still in meditation, holding the body relatively still in a relaxed way, and training the mind to be aware of the present moment. It's a huge effort because we're going against the stream of the mind doing whatever it wants to do, worrying about this, planning that, dwelling in the past, imagining the future, fantasizing, 
And all of a sudden we're saying, no, honey, we're not going to do that. We're going to feel the body sitting. We're going to notice the breath. When we do think, we're going to notice thinking is being known. It's just that. When we start to hate ourselves for having so many habits, oh, hatred, self-hatred is like this. It's just that being known. So we learn that effort to start over again. I don't know much, but I do know that this experience is something being felt, something being known here and now. This is how it is. This is being experienced. It's being felt. So we start over, we know that effort, and then we learn that more subtle effort to sustain present moment awareness, to really build it. Just end with uh, <clears throat> a quote from uh, Saida Utejaniya. Avoiding difficult situations or running away from them does not usually take much skill or effort, but doing so prevents you from testing your own limits and from growing. The ability to face difficulties can be crucial for your own growth. However, if you if you are faced with a situation in which the difficulties are simply overwhelming, you should step back for the time being and wait until you've built up enough strength to deal with them skillfully. So we have the effort to sort of turn away from some problem that we don't have the stability to be with. We, ha we need to know the effort to sustain with difficult experience when we have enough stability, enough interest, enough wisdom, enough self-compassion. And we need to learn the effort of letting go and just letting the wholesome qualities of mind which are impersonal, letting them do the work. Let nature do the work. I remember times in practice, you know, neurotically thinking I need to practice. But mindfulness already had a head of steam. It already had momentum. And eventually that wisdom awareness exposed how off that idea that I need to make effort <laughs> was, you know. But it was tenacious, like, because it had been skillful, but was no longer skillful. And to learn to trust is really hard. And I'm guessing that we've learned this in different parts of our life. You know, even in romantic or marriages, you know, where we try and really hard to be a good partner sometimes is not the way to be a good partner. Or trying neurotically to be a good parent is not really a very effective way to be a parent. It may be much more useful to be in a more relaxed way to be real, just to let it rip, so to speak. Let our personality, let our way of being with that person or in that situation, just let it go, let it be. And and the stance, so to speak, is, well, this will be interesting. You know, that wisdom awareness, curious. This will be interesting how the personality, how the mind and body does this next moment of life, and then the next, and then the next. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.